Okay, good morning. Welcome back. Um, today, continuing discussion of Sutta Nepata. Uh, this is uh, talk number... <laughs> it's uh, I've lost the uh, thread of the count. It's uh, <laughs> written as 16 on my side, but it's actually uh, the 17th in the series. Uh, a couple of them were doubled up. But regardless of the numbers... Uh, today we're going to talk about the third sutta of the second chapter, which is called Chulavaga, the lesser chapter, of the five chapters of the complete Sutta Nepata of 71 short suttas. <clears throat> this is an interesting chapter or sutta, um, number three. So it's Hiri, Hiri Sutta, Hiri Sutta. Um, which could be, which was titled on the first link or on the basic Sutta Nepata page, uh, On Friendship or Conscience. There are two translations from John Ireland and Tanisaro Biku. And Tanisaro wrote the, the summary as, What is a True Friend? What's interesting is that um, one translator translated the word hiti uh, as friendship, John Ireland. The other one translated it, or Tanisaro translated it as conscience. They're kind of different, but if you can say that conscience, the sense of moral right and wrong, or moral the moral sense, uh, is deeply involved in, or is required uh, in any true friendship, or of any true friend, then we can start to find the connection. Uh, I, uh, Hiri really is not friendship. <laughs> it really means uh, moral shame. And to call it friendship is mistaken because that's really Kalyana or Kalyana Mitra, Kalyana Mita. Uh, so there's a different set of words in Pali used for friendship. So I'm not really sure why um, one of the translators, Ireland, um, translated the word hiri as friendship. Uh, let's look into the word itself, hiri. That's the Wikipedia link, <clears throat> which is um, working from the word hri, H-R-I. Uh, in Sanskrit, it's hiri. Hiri. In Pali, it's hri. But it's not the same hri as hri 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 or the Tibetan um, mm, mantric syllable. There's a mantra syllable called hri, H-R-I, uh, that is used as a closing or a sort of charging of the mantra in esoteric Buddhism. That came much later. It's a different hri anyway. So, uh, let me read the Buddhist, uh, the, the Wikipedia entry a bit, uh, and you'll get a sense of what Hiri in Pali, Hiri really means. So it's a Buddhist term translated as, and now you're going to see lots and lots of um, derivative meanings taken as translation. And that that's just the sort of the way it goes with humans here, is they take the original word, they have some sense of the original meaning or, or usage meaning, and then consider derivatives 
of uh, what it leads to, and then consider those over time, over time then, humanity, which is not a very honest group here, uh, nor conscientious, uh, takes the derived implications of the meaning to be the new meaning. And so you'll see that here. Hiri is a Buddhist term translated as, meaning uh, derivative <laughs> Uh, consequences uh, later understood to be the meaning as self-respect or conscientiousness it's not self-respect whatsoever nor is it friendship actually but it is very close to conscientiousness defined as the attitude of taking earnest care with regard to one's actions and refraining from non-virtuous action right so we're really talking about the roots in mind that prevent wrong speech, wrong action, and wrong livelihood. Uh, it, this is deeply bound up with the moral sense, internal moral sense, a person's moral awareness, and how that um, is, it becomes the mental factor, and we'll see about this mental factors, the mental factor preventing uh, harmful activity harmful to self and other, which is, in practice, wrong action, wrong speech, or wrong livelihood, which is uh, basically, ultimately, in with the um, Panchashila, five moral uh, recommendations, like don't kill, or don't trade in the flesh of animals, or uh, don't, don't, you know, certain livelihoods that are harmful, uh, as well as, we know, various forms of speech and and other forms of action that are not livelihood like uh, punching people so uh, unnecessarily let's say so any kind of harmful activity harmful means harmful to you and me or immoral means harmful to you and me there's lots of stuff that people do that doesn't seem to be harmful in retrospect it could be seen as harmful yet um, obviously um, any psychiatrist psychologist clinical person knows it's sometimes necessary to do something that's not quite the best but we desire it uh, to experience the consequences and learn that um, I probably shouldn't continue this because I can see the consequences were harmful and so uh, experiencing the consequences of deeds was called trial and error um, going along with Ra's view about desire so now when we're talking about Hiri, or conscience, or moral moral sense, moral sensitivity. Um, we're also talking about working with desire, or uh, the prevention of acting upon desires for particular behaviors or speech generally that will be harmful, that are, that are, that are called immoral, but then go all the way to what's ultimately not to my long-term welfare and benefit and any kind of notion of sin doesn't have to really weigh heavy here um, it could be called um, avoiding sin or avoiding immorality it's ultimately avoiding that which is distorted or that which um, is significantly uh, deficient in love wisdom 
certainly, you know, anything that infringes on the law of one or infringes on the free will of others would be considered wrong activity or harmful action and speech. Meanwhile, um, we know that that we have desires for certain activities or forms of speech or things we want to say or do that we know may have some harmful consequences, but it's not because we want harmful consequences. There's a deeper need to experience something or a deeper need to make it said. Like, I know you're not going to understand it and I know you're going to react badly, but I feel I have to say it. That kind of thing. And then you get the very subtle areas of what's moral, immoral, uh, harmful, unharmful, sometimes uh, painful consequences upon speech, uh, speech or action that leads to harmful consequence, uh, from a longer-term perspective, could be seen as very helpful. Um, because we say something that we feel we needed to have said or did something we needed to do or fulfilled a desire that we just couldn't couldn't be without or didn't want to, you know, continue to uh, push off or r r avoid. Uh, and we learn something by it. We learn something by it and we're changed after it. And fulfillment of the desire, even though there were some messy consequences or harm to self and other, uh, we learned and grew from it. I mean, in, that, in the case, and that's Ross saying that uh, all desires are, you know, proper at the right time for an entity. Um, so there's a subtle, more uh, elevated or higher altitude, um, multi-incarnational perspective that ought to be brought in too. But <laughs> in a simple-minded sense here, we're just looking at the mental factors uh, of conscience that are more or less present in a person or in a, a person's thinking in a situation that prevent a harm. And um, it certainly includes the awareness of consequences or sensitivity to consequence. So, it's one of the virtuous mental factors in the Abhidharma, Abhidharma teaching, Abhidhamma teaching. So, Buddhism, or Abhidhamma particularly, which is further Dhamma or law or teaching, particularly further teaching or advanced teaching, not from the Buddha himself, but later monks and commentators who analyzed his teachings in suttas and then uh, categorized um, very particular elements of the path or s development along the way. So there is a, there's some further discussion uh, from Abhidharma Samuchaya what is ri or hiri? It is to avoid what is objectionable as far as I see it, and its function is to provide a basis for refraining from non-virtuous actions. My hiccups. So the basis for wise restraint. The basis of wise restraint in speech and action. And um, again, what seems like wise restraint <laughs> to me may not seem that way to you or my sense of wise restraint today um, will be different than it is tomorrow, or maybe greater today than it was yesterday. Hopefully, <laughs> we have not necessarily more restraint, but wiser restraint. So it's not like 
quantity of restraint is uh, key to the path. Some very austere or harsh ascetic type traditions or practices of different religion. It's not as heavy in Buddhism, actually. <clears throat> For Buddhists, eating once a day is not called uh, asceticism. It's just called um, <laughs> detachment from sensual pleasure of making a big deal out of eating. But uh, the moral sense grows with time. The moral sense is very individual, actually. And so we should uh, acknowledge people are going to have to learn their own way in their own time. And what they think is helpful or not harmful, which we think is harmful, uh, that they wish to engage in, and uh, it's out of our control, let's say. They do it. They'll learn. Uh, and so... <clears throat> uh, but uh, the subtle analysis here includes a recognition that there's wise restraint and unwise restraint. There's wise or healthy guilt and shame there's healthy guilt and shame. Nothing wrong with guilt and shame. Guilt is remorse, regret, and shame is um, a sort of embarrassment uh, in relation to others or the collective to some degree. Whether it's internal only or they're shaming us is different, meaning or, or is, is irrelevant even. There's the internal moral sense that where if we did something we feel is wrong or harmful or mistaken, we feel guilt. Guilt means remorse and regret. To me, there's healthy guilt, or healthy guilt equals remorse and regret. I wish I didn't do it. I feel bad. Or I wish I did do it. I feel bad. That's, I think, reasonable. <laughs> healthy remorse and regret, or healthy guilt. Then there's healthy shame, which is... Yeah, uh, everybody, um, everybody's <laughs> critical of me now because I did this or didn't do that. And I wish I hadn't done it, let's say. Uh, and it hurts to have blame or dishonor in the community. Uh, okay. <laughs> one doesn't have to uh, beat oneself up about it, or one doesn't have to get stuck in it, or um, it's not... A ticket to self-punishment. It's just an instance of feeling a reasonable shame in that I have regret, remorse about what I did or didn't do, and now others see it, and others have seen it, and others uh, condemn me or blame me or criticize me or judge me for it. Um, and regardless of um, where it's going in the future, uh, I wish I hadn't done it and therefore didn't get their negative reaction. That's some kind of shame. And I don't think shame is necessarily um, unhelpful. The Buddhist perspective is that remorse and regret or healthy guilt and shame, guilt and shame now have a bad reputation, obviously, healthy guilt and shame, <laughs> regret, remorse, moral shame, moral dread, are useful mental factors. So we go on. Two suttas, there are two suttas here, and I'm going to read both of them, and I guess we'll probably do this in two weeks. Two suttas bear the title Hiri Sutta. Both focus on the issue of moral shame. And again, guilt and shame are not quite the same, so sometimes people are not perfect. So I'd say both texts focus on conscience. And 
internal moral sense. And that may include shame or dread or guilt or remorse. It's all a complex. The first is what I, is very short from Samutta Nikaya 118. Short dialogue between Gautama and a deity, a deva, or a, or a yaksha maybe, on the nature of conscience. Uh, and the second is what we're going to focus on from uh, Samutta Nikaya Q&A between Gautama and an ascetic who is a Brahmin regarding the nature of true friendship um, that's taken um, also from um, the first sutta. That, that's the sutta we're going to focus on, is Kiri Sutta from Sutta Nipata. So it's all a little bit complicated. There are two of them with the same name. The first one, <laughs> just so you get a sense of what's up, uh, is not from Samutta, is not from uh, Sutta Nipata, from Samyutta Nikaya, uh, and it's called Hiri Sutta also. And the, uh, I guess I sent it, the last link um, is an interesting page from a Taiwan university, a translation from a Burmese, um, edited by the Editorial Committee of Burma, Tapitaka, 1998, so 20 years ago. Translated by U Tin U Myong from uh, Rangoon or Yangon. Uh, super short. Super short. Discourse on the sense of shame. And there's the the kind of a Q and A because this was Gautama talking to I think a yaksha. Quote: The yaksha asked, <laughs> "Is there any? Is there in this world any person who, out of a sense of shame, meaning hiri, refrains from doing evil?" even before anyone has any occasion of blaming him? Like a good horse that does not need to be whipped? Meaning, uh, the Yaksha is asking, Gautama, is there anybody <laughs> in this whole world who has a sense of shame and or by a sense of shame refrains from harmful action before anyone condemns him or completely autonomously or internally without being shamed? And Gautama said, there are a few who always conduct themselves with mindfulness, sati. Who, and so there's the linkage between sati and morality. Very important, sati and hiri. The greater the sati, the greater the hiri. And greater doesn't mean quality, quantity, it means quality. The greater morality doesn't mean more restraint. It means more sensitivity to the nature of harm and, and value. And therefore, from that greater sensitivity to what's really valuable and what's really harmful, um, the person naturally refrains from what's harmful. And that um, sense of what's harmful, the quality of sensitivity to harmful or hurting, right? It's increasing sensitivity to hurt, to harm no one, to do no harm, to not hurt. Um, leads to a matured hiti, but that comes from mindfulness, being able to watch your mind, being able to watch mental arising and passing away, not just instinctually or reflexively thinking, feeling, speaking, or thinking, speaking, acting. So anyway, Gautama answered, said, there are a few who always conduct themselves with mindfulness, sati, who out of a sense of shame, hiti, refrain from doing evil, and who, having come to the end of Dukkha, Nibbana, meaning the a fully enlightened one, conduct themselves with serenity in a turbulent world. 
So, serenity in a turbulent world. Very important. So, going on, <laughs> back to the page um, on Hiti from Wiki, Wikipedia, right up on Hiti. Uh, I want to go to the section in the commentaries. Uh, so this is listed among the 25 Obana Chetasikas, or beautiful mental factors. And Hiri is often functioned in conjunction with, or it's usually associated with this other term in Pali, Otapa, uh, which is Apatrapya, 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 or Pali, Otapa, sounds very Japanese to me, all of this, uh, moral dread, moral dread. So there's moral shame and moral dread. So when it's put together with otapa, it's uh, where a hiri is a moral shame, while otapa is considered moral dread. What's the difference between shame and dread? Well, again, to me, generally, and then we'll look at how, you know, it's all very complicated, right? Because there's how we think of, how we understand certain words. There is the write-up of the same words from translators, and there is their divergent understandings of the term which come out as what they claim to be translations. Uh, so, uh, commonly, hiri as moral shame and otapa as moral dread uh, seem to be related to how a uh, uh, sensitivity to how my activity will be seen versus sensitivity to how I'll feel um, should I perform such activity or speech. Uh, text goes on, these two are responsible for encouraging a person to avoid performing evil actions. Together they're known as Lokapala. <laughs> Lokapala, guardians of the world. Like Dharmapala is guardians of the Dharma. Pala is different than Fala or fruit. So, uh, guardians of the world uh, is the sense of moral shame and dread, or conscience. And so, there's a commentary, Pugala Panyati, stating, quote, to be ashamed of what one ought to be ashamed of, to be ashamed of performing evil and unwholesome things, this is called moral shame or hiri. So, hiri here as shame of what you ought to be ashamed of, shame of performing evil and unwholesome. Uh, but that shame, I think, is with an eye to how it's seen, or the fact that it's a public or socially witnessed matter, or that it that our activity occurs in the context of other people, right? And that's another matter. Um, blamelessness is an important factor here, meaning the sensitivity to the value of blame last nas. Blame last nas, meaning nobody's blaming me. <laughs> That's nice. Uh, why? Because I don't make trouble. <laughs> That's great. Mm. Now, how do you interplay that with desire? It's a little different, but that's a whole other thing, is the, uh, <laughs> the proper uh, integration of personal desire and, blame, and the seeking of blamelessness. It's a very deep stuff. Anyway, moral shame here, to be ashamed of what you should be ashamed of, well, you know, everybody has a different opinion of that, to be ashamed of um, transgression in some way, 
and I would say very much associated with its witnessing or its uh, social interpersonal context. Then we have otapa, to be in dread, so shame to dread, dread of what one ought to be in dread of, dread of performing evil and wholesome things, that's called moral dread otapa. That's a pretty straightforward definition or distinguishing of the two. And that's all for that. Now, so we've got shame and dread. As a interesting note uh, on Wiki Wiktionary, um, the etymology of the word conscience. Obviously, it's con or calm. Science, science is like science, right? With science, <laughs> uh, from the Wikipedia or Wiki Wiktionary English etymology. Going back ultimately to Latin, conscientia, 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 knowledge within oneself. And so, morality um, very much derives from that inner sense of right and wrong, or good and bad, or better and worse, or valuable, unvaluable. Knowledge within oneself. It goes all the way back to um, Latin com seer or skier, meaning to know together, together knowing, knowing together. But it's not together with other people, particularly. It's knowing together with um, a deep mind or higher self or soul. <laughs> it's basically a reflective process between higher self and the conscious mind, at best. At best, knowing together, knowing within oneself, is a knowing between conscious mind and higher self, or higher self and uh, how we, and the personality, how we think of myself, right? Me and my soul, me and my essence, me and my heart chakra, knowing together with heart chakra. <laughs> heart chakra knowing together green blue green blue moral sensitivity <laughs> the moral sensitivity that comes from activation of fourth and fifth chakras uh, i know what kindness is i know what meanness is i know what feels good i know what feels bad i know that i feel bad when you feel bad i know that i don't want to do anything that makes you and me feel bad um, and I understand also con uh, I, I've taken a look at possible consequences from my speech or behavior that's wisdom right? the time sense uh, and all that knowing together or knowing within myself leads me to wise restraint and so what we're talking about here is wise restraint not total restraint now on a wisdom lib org <laughs> this is all background before we get to the suttas, this is like, uh, you know, wash the vegetables and uh, slice them and arrange them in nice little white bowls, ceramic bowls, ready for the cooking. Um, but this is an important thing because there is a um, demoralization, <laughs> global demoralization agenda, project, activity, uh, well underway everywhere in in world culture today. Uh, individual cultures have their own views of things. Meanwhile, um, much uh, of what Big Brother does is associated with um, 
uh, a sort of slash and burn to human morality, a kind of uh, manipulative reworking, uh, breaking down and building up again, like a military boot camp. Break him down so we build him up again. Right? Silly. Uh, <laughs> it's totally straight up service to self, right? So, uh, the demoralization agenda of, of um, Bezmanov and cultural Marxism and social re-engineering is uh, particularly a re-engineering of our morality. Demoralization uh, or making someone discouraged or hopeless or helpless or self-hating or not knowing how to protect themselves or not caring about their own welfare or being a welcoming uh, of global uh, annihilation or World War Three or death or pain there's a lot of that going on there's a lot of masochism there's a lot of masochistic narcissism and narcissistic masochism there's a lot of self-harming uh, afoot looks like that to me there's wanton lying which is becoming very fashionable increasingly the paucity of honesty as Ross said of these peoples of earth humanity uh, lying and spin and deceptive uh, strategic communication is uh, even more uh, active or present it seems to me which is called dishonesty and that's immorality. That's called wrong speech. And leads to losing your teeth and uh, having troubles in your mouth and having troubles in your mind and having troubles in your heart and having trouble in future lives and having people lie to you and betray you. You lie, you betray, you get lied to and betrayed. And so, um, lots of, not lots, but some of what seems to be fashionable would from the old uh, in the old days simply be called immoral or sinful or wrong action so um i don't think a <laughs> one hour introduction to this may not even be unnecessary because if there's uh, you know you, you can't get in the door on the spiritual path you can't stay on the spiritual path if you continue hurting self and other by speech and behavior and then, of course, by thought, self-harming thought. Uh, there's no deep emotional healing when there's an attachment to self-blame, self-criticism, self-punishment. So healing demands the ending of self-punishment or the ending of self-harming. Good relationship demands a carefulness not to hurt one's partner or friends. Uh, social ba The basis of society... Um, demands a moral sensitivity of its membership. There's no other way. You'll end up, otherwise you end up in the hell realm. And 3D space-time becomes a pseudo-hell realm, which some may say is happening. Ross said, 3D space-time here provides an adequate heaven and a more than adequate hell. And that's part of what's going on. Um, the lower astralization of 3D space-time Earth humanity culture, to some degree. Not everywhere, but to some degree. So, oh, right, on the Wisdom Lib page, uh, Hiri, he, six, uh, Hiri or Hiri, six definitions, uh, as I said, it's part of these beautiful mental factors, 
beautiful mind is a mind that um, uh, is is common is generally producing and experiencing beautiful or positive mental factors. <clears throat> and so the analysis from Abhidhamma goes hiri or this moral shame, moral shame hinders chitta, meaning mental process, not to do bad things, as doing so probably will face with disgraceful situations. And that's the uh, social interpersonal context associated with the word shame versus guilt, which is more internal subjective. So the interpersonality, the collectivity, the social context... Um, as it has bearing on a person's feeling or sense of self in the face of what could be called bad things or immoral action or wrong speech, wrong uh, activity, you know, harmful. So it, Hiri is, the, is basically the, the root of, um, one of the roots of um, self, of wise restraint. And one of the roots of wise restraint is because I don't want people, I don't want to feel, I don't want to be disgraced. I don't want to act disgracefully because I am acting in context of society, collective, and, and personal, interpersonal relationships. Then <clears throat> it goes on. In the presence of hiri, as it reminds one to consider consequences of actions, chitta, meaning mental thing, mental action, will not do bad things due to this inhibition. It's not that chitta is some independent actor. <laughs> it's you, we, don't do harm because we're concerned with the consequences. It always arises with its friend, Otapa, Otapa Chetasika, as a companion. <clears throat> and so that's moral dread, which is more internal. Together with Otapa, these two Chetasikas, meaning mind uh, factors, guard the world in the unfavorable social conditions, <laughs> such as we see today. Men and women are attracted to each other and finally leads to sex, but Hiri and Otapa hinder unnecessary events. This is uh, some un very confused uh, add-in here, but uh, it's not about sex, it's about <laughs> harm. <clears throat> and so, it's the sense of shame, while Otapa sometimes could be called a fear of sin or dread. Um, on another page, Wisdom Lib explains Hiri and Otapa together. It's not such a big deal. Uh, they could be called conscience and concern or moral shame and moral dread. Moral shame, moral dread, both of them as the bases of wise restraint. And could be called why, a healthy guilt and shame. Healthy shame and guilt. I don't think, again, you know, there, there can be guilt without self-hatred. <laughs> yeah, I made a mistake. I wish I hadn't done it. I feel regret. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I really am. Like that. I'm sorry to you and I'm sorry to me. <clears throat> That's, um, I think, a reasonable guilt. It doesn't mean... Um, it has nothing to do with the church. It has to do with conscience and my relationship to what I know is true and right. Like the movie is saying, uh, do the right thing. Yeah, there is a, generally a right thing. I mean, it's not just one, though, and it's all you know, much more subtle. So twin emotions, they're not emotions. They're really a, a, a deeper 
moral sense of um, love, no love. Love versus harm, wisdom versus folly. It's, it's basically, and the bases of internal restraint or self-restraint, why, the bases of right restraint, we can say, uh, as, um, uh, as a manifestation of love-wisdom, green-blue, with the sense that I don't want to hurt you, and I don't want to hurt me, because its consequences will hurt me. <laughs> uh, and that could be called selfish, but that's okay, to be selfish in wise restraint. Uh, because I don't want I I don't want the shame or disgrace publicly or socially or collectively, nor do I want the guilt and regret um, that I expect to feel. And so again, um, there's activity or speech that's clearly harmful, and then there's all sorts of other speech and action that isn't, and the the so-called gray zone. So hitty here going on. Um, guardians of the world associated with all skillful action. Yeah. Hiri as inner conscience restrains us from doing deeds that would jeopardize our own self-respect. Otapa is healthy fear. So healthy fear <laughs> of committing unskillful deeds that might bring about harm to ourselves and others. So shame as associated with self-respect. Um, guilt can be associated with self-respect. Also, meaning, uh, if I do a lot of harm and I feel really bad about myself, I don't really respect myself, or I don't really, uh, I wouldn't respect a person who did all that harm, I can't respect me too. But then one's got to get to forgiveness. Uh, some other indications here. Uh, moral shame and moral dread, right? Hiri and otapa, associated with all karmically wholesome consciousness, because it's all you know, do no harm. Um, ahimsa. Uh, from another text, uh, to be ashamed, we read this already, okay, uh, and then another, uh, Gautama has said, two lucid things, O monks, protect the world, moral shame and moral dread, right? So, Lokapala, world protectors. If these two things were not to protect the world, then one would respect neither one's mother or sister or brother or teacher, brother's wife or teacher's wife, dot, 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 dot. Meaning what? With no moral restraint, um, shame and regret or dread, people would uh, do violence to everybody? Maybe. Um, some people, wanders <laughs> coming from higher dimensions, uh, know better. And so it's the sense of knowing better. The final link before we read the suttas. Where are we on time? 40 minutes. The final link on the uh, extended introduction here is uh, also Wisdom Lib uh, on Hiri Sutta itself and indicates the three uh, manifestations. Um, the second of the third is, um, I think, the, the first is what we read, the very short one. The second is different, but the second shows the disadvantages of lack of hiri, meaning disadvantages of shamelessness, uh, which is very popular in the world today. Uh, shameless liars. <laughs> shameless liars. 
they're all over the place in the media. It's a really a, it's a, an orgy of shameless lying, <laughs> seems to me. The disadvantages, are, and so what's going to happen to those poor souls after they die? Hmm? Disadvantages of lack of hity or conscientiousness or conscience and a lack of fear of blame. So healthy fear and healthy shame or healthy guilt. <laughs> uh, and the advantages of their possession, the possession of conscience uh, and a fear of being blamed as well as um, feeling... Um, a loss of self-respect that there the losing self-respect and is a big deal i i really can't um love myself and like myself based on what i did i feel huge shame internally that kind of thing uh it can heal that will heal um but it may take several lifetimes and so uh the third is the sutta from um, Sutta Nipata, we'll read, Chulavaga chapter, preached in answer to questions asked by an ascetic, and the backstory is that he had been, meaning the questioner, who's a Brahmin ascetic, yogi, had been a very rich Brahmin of Savati, Saviti, before the birth of Gautama, so he's an older man. He gave away all his wealth, became an ascetic in Himava, meaning the Himalayas, there, filled with joy, so he didn't, you know, I mean, the, these some of the rishis or yogis in the mountains or doing deep practice are very advanced. It's the ones on the streets that are problematic. There, filled with joy, meaning in his uh, Himava, Himal Himalaya retreat, filled with joy on hearing news of the Buddha's appearance in the world, went to Savati and visited him, but Buddha preached to him, and at the end of the sermon he entered the Sangha, and then attained ahan, arahanship, or became arahan. How about that? So you see, again, um, Brahmin yogis, very close to complete and perfect awakening. These are very advanced souls. <laughs> and um, this was a special dispensation. The, the Buddhist dispensation, or teaching and offering, was first in his lifetime, and secondarily after he died, or after he passed out of the octave or into into unity with the octave. And so, before death, um, it was a very special audience that attracted to him. And many of them came in, I'm sure, incarnation, just to hear his talk and get the catalyst for making some final evolutionary uh, achievement. So then it says that the sutta is a short dissertation on true friendship, a friend is one who helps in times of need, not only speaks pleasant words, but means them, and encourages and fosters all that is good. That's a very helpful matter, by the way, um, encouraging all that's good. And so, if it's straight, I help it along. If it's crooked, I leave it alone, said Zhongzi. And so, uh, that attitude is very helpful uh, I cheer, and that that is um, mudita, also sympathetic joy. If you're happy, I'm happy. When you're well and doing well, that's great. Um, misery loves company, and so if we're resentful at others' happiness, it's probably a sign that some aspects of our life are not well um, well established, or we're not well in some deep way. If others' happiness 
leads us to resentment and jealousy and envy, it's very likely that there's some problem in our mind and in our life, or multiple problems, which is fine, which means you got to look in, or if you want to heal, look in. What is, why do I feel jealousy, envy, resentment, and not happy that he's happy? Because I'm not. Why am I not? Well, you know, let me count that ways. And so then, an itemizing, a discernment, a listing of what's what I don't like or where I'm unhappy in my life would be useful. Some of those um, instances of my uh, incarnational current time unhappiness may simply be the product of how we're seeing and not external. Meaning, it's not that some that, that there's a problem. The problem is not objective; it's subjective. So that's another matter. So, all right, let's go in. And uh, <laughs> in the last twenty minutes here, we'll see if I can finish Hiri Sutta. I don't need to read the John Ireland translation because I think there's a problem there, actually. So I'm just going to read uh, Tanisaro's translation. Interestingly, the last verse here is the same as a verse in Dhammapada. And so Dhammapada um, is a collection of direct speakings of Gautama, presumably, uh, taken in some cases from various suttas. So, let's go. This is now... So we are talking about a friend, but we're actually talking about um, the basis of friendship being the moral sense to do no harm out of shame and, and dread or um, a fear of the consequences of doing harm, uh, whatever that means. So this, again, is a Brahmin asking Gautama. Um, and Gautama is basically explaining right from the start what what is a true friend or... What what is Hiri? One who flouting and so first we talk about the not friend. <laughs> the not friend uh, in brackets is end brackets start sutta. One who flouting, despising a sense of conscience or Hiri, saying I am your friend, but not grasping what he could do to help, know him as not my friend. One who, and on the other hand, one who, among friends, speaks endearing words to which he doesn't... Uh, sorry, that's the same one. The same not friend. One who, among friends, speaks endearing words to which he doesn't conform, the wise recognize as speaking without doing. <clears throat> and so, uh, now we have the transit from the not friend to the friend. He's not a friend who's always wary suspecting a split, focusing just on your weakness, but him on whom you can depend like a child on its parent's breast, that's a true friend whom others can't split from you. So we're talking about loyalty and relationship. Carrying one's manly burden, the fruits and rewards develop the, condi the fruits and rewards develop the conditions that make for joy the bliss that brings praise. Drinking the nourishment, the flavor of seclusion and calm, one is freed from evil, devoid of distress, 
refreshed with the nourishment of rapture in the Dhamma. <clears throat> so this is a <laughs> strange little sutta, and <clears throat> there it may well be that Gautama perceived telepathically that this Brahman ascetic um, had some un, unworthy friends with him, or had some issue with the people of his community, or should not be any longer in his community because they were betraying him or untrue. And it, so it turns out he went from being a Brahmin ascetic to a Buddhist monk. So he split with one group and joined another group. It may well be that Gautama was perceiving that the other yogis around him were deceptive or dishonest or harmful and... Um, not loyal true friends. So true friendship and shame, a critical relationship or shame, you know, the, the, a, a false friend it does some of the things that, you know, part of what a false friend would do is indicated in the Sutta. And that's the person without Hiti. <clears throat> so flouting, despising a sense of conscience, meaning... Uh, fuck you, I do what I want. <laughs> I don't care what you think, I don't care what they think, I don't care what was taught, I do what I want. Right? Do what thou wilt, is the whole of the law, <laughs> for the one who flouts conscience. Uh, meanwhile, there's a higher law than do whatever the conscious mind whims or desires. <laughs> there's a cosmic law in which we have a body, in which we take birth, in which we reincarnate. And that ain't uh, your personal desire. It's not the same as the person, the conscious mind it, it, at all. So, the false friend <clears throat> or the harmful person um, flouting, despising conscience really says uh, there's none, none, none are higher than my conscious mind. I'm the boss. I'm the big boss. Um, disregarding soul or, or higher self or God, of course. And so the godlessness of materialism or atheism or um, the hedonist or the Satanist, the godlessness is a sense of there's no higher authority but me. I am the supreme authority, right? Self-worship. Um, man imagining himself as God. By those who believe that there's no God other than what man conceived, meaning there is no creator, intelligent, benevolent creator, um, seed source to existence or creation. That existence or that which is just is, it cannot be said to be created with any plan by any being with any purpose. Such they think. And that is a flouting. <laughs> That's a big time flouting. So the person says, I'm your friend, but doesn't actually try to help. <clears throat> so words are cheap. So be careful of those who talk and don't do. Then we have another form of talking without doing, or uh, the um, irreconcilable <laughs> irreconcilability, um, in their case, between their words and their action. The um, inconsistency the incongruity, the non-resonance, the mismatch, the conflict 
between what they say and what they do. So then, one who among friends, or one who thinks, one who claims to be your friend, or you consider your friend, speaking endearing kindly words to which he doesn't conform, it's called hao shuo, means, oh, sweet words, sweet talk, um, meaning nothing. Uh, speaking endearing words to which he doesn't conform, the wise recognize as speaking without doing. Hey, hey, you're a big talker, but you can't do. Words are cheap. Talk is cheap. Uh, so <laughs> that's something to... That That also comes out of lack of hiri, or otapa, meaning that person doesn't care <laughs> that their actions don't conform to their words, that their words point towards benevolence and their actions don't show it whatsoever. They don't know it or they don't care. Because who are you? <laughs> You're the guy I say I'm your friend to. Nothing more than that. <laughs> You're the one who's my friend on my terms. I'm your friend on my terms. Rather than on our terms. So that's called um win-lose masquerading as win-win um, utilitarian or selfish uh, selfish um, using <laughs> taking advantage of or using another as a friend when they're not treated truly in a friendly warm mutual caring way sure that's called a false friend <clears throat> so they're, they're speaking without doing and then there is another category, the friend who's always wary, suspecting a split, focusing on your weakness. Suspecting a split means suspicious of you. So, uh, with the view that you're not really my friend. <laughs> so there's some people, it's like a chip on the shoulder. They walk around, or they have this, they have this, first of all, they choose poorly, and they choose selfish people as friends, who ultimately only those other people only know a win-lose or they're self-centered <laughs> so their feeling uh, is nearly everything and their feeling is not uh, their well-being doesn't include yours uh, mutual well-being is not uh, essential to their well-being so they think what's essential to their well-being is that they just fulfill their desires and you're part of the landscape they use you and you know, of course you're my friend. <laughs> Fuck off. I don't care how you feel. You're my friend. And so, this is uh, <laughs> self-deception and uh, uh, sweet words or, or um, empty speech. Speaking without doing. Um, <laughs> hollow, hollow praise, hollow kindness. So, but there's another type of hollow false friendship which is the one that um, considers you a friend but doesn't trust you. <laughs> you don't trust me, right? You want to be my friend, but you keep testing me. You say you love me, but you actually seem to uh, keep testing me to see if I'm being honest with you or if I'm really your friend or if you can really trust me or what I am. And um, you're very critical or you're periodically strongly critical. But you say you're my friend? I'm confused. You say you're my friend. Well, maybe you should not believe words. <laughs> you, who may be confused and dopey, 
rope-a-dopey. If so, it doesn't matter what they say, really. It matters how they are, how they treat you, what they do. You know, words are cheap because it's easy to speak without doing. It's easy uh, with a distorted mind or a self-centered, you know, low self-esteem-based um, um, habit of manipulativeness or utilitarianism, meaning using people, uh, to have words that are, that are fully empty, hollow, meaning nothing. And um, not only does they uh, not conform to activity, but they're full of shit. They're wrong. They're just lying. Or they just don't know. Like this, in this case. Always wary, suspecting a split, focusing on your weakness, or criticizing. And that's the friendship. That's how they know friendship. For them, that's a friendship. Where... They basically <laughs> never trust you, or trust is always conditional or provisional or very shaky. That's the friendship. That's the best they can do, often, as a f in friendship. But if you don't know it, you're in trouble. Then the contrast and making the transit to a real understanding of Hiti, him on whom you can depend, like a child on parent's breast, or should be mother's breast, I think. What's a true? Uh, that's a true friend whom others can't split from you. So this is a, you know, a very common case in partnership or marriage where one partner is, quote, disloyal or infidelity, uh, infidelitous, infidel, not fidel, not, not fidel, no more fidelity, it's low fidelity, and um, gets involved with romantically with another partner, another person. And then one, the one that's left behind... Um, or the one that is uh, outside that tryst says um, he um, he took my wife she took my man she, that bitch woman took my husband that asshole seduced my wife well um, it seems to me that if the relationship is very strong uh, others can't split from you Others can't split that one that's truly close from you. And so, uh, there's almost, I, I mean, I, it, <laughs> the one that that was, uh, that, that showed infidelity or adultery or got involved against the rules, you cheated on me, you broke the rule, which we never explained at the start, but assume, uh, the one that cheated, quote, cheated, um generally wasn't uh, there were some fundamental problems in the relationship to begin with obviously and so um, a true friend is somebody that you can't split me from because I know him or her better than you do or I know him and her deeply well and I trust him or her and I know you're the trouble <laughs> you coming in to split us you're the trouble you're the bad one not not the one you're blaming. So, <laughs> a true friend won't be split off by others. A true partner um, won't be seduced or leave um, the trust or intimacy uh, coerced by another because they have a loyalty uh, to you as a friend or a partner. And and that's born, that's based in, in proven trustworthiness and uh, goodness proven goodness 
some people don't even know what's good or bad, so they're just, you know, out to lunch, <clears throat> permanently out to lunch. So mm, they can't tell that their partner didn't really love them, or they were doing things that made the partner want, you know, seek the comfort of another, or that their partner um, <laughs> has been using them from the start. Oh, and but <clears throat> fell in love with an abuser. That's kind of problematic. So anyway, the end of the sutta goes, carrying one's manly burden. I'm not sure if that was the original, <laughs> but uh, <clears throat> taking responsibility, uh, acknowledging the responsibility of relationship, which includes friendship, which includes do no harm, doing no harm, or this sense of moral shame or dread, not wanting the disgrace or shame of doing what I regret that's witnessed by others. I'll feel bad having done this or that because it, it's against my conscience, that kind of thing. And I feel ashamed or it's a disgrace that it was witnessed. <clears throat> Everybody knows. You know, higher beings are, you know, <laughs> they're watching. They're not hovering in the corners of the room all the time, but sometimes. And uh, everything critical from this life will be reviewed after the life is over if uh, one doesn't go to hell. And if one goes to hell, it may be reviewed later. But in general, uh, life review <laughs> is a critical portion of the after-death readjustment process, which means uh, you'll have to review it. Uh, and whatever we did or didn't do, but particularly what we didn't said, that we have regret, remorse, and guilt regarding, we will review again after we're finished here. That's called Judgment Day. <clears throat> it's really personal judgment by higher self. <laughs> defending your life. And it's not exactly defending your life. But seeing where, um, where we met Catalyst uh, well with love, wisdom, understanding, and discernment, and carefulness, and care, and where we didn't, where we helped others and hurt others, where we um, um, caught the golden ring and where we let it fall to the ground, where we rose to meet the challenge and where we shirked and uh, hit our head under the, under the pillow. <clears throat> all of that will be reviewed. All of it. And or all that's critical will be reviewed and... Re and um, reassessed and so <laughs> um, it's good to be careful so fruits and rewards develop this is really just a synopsis of uh, the eight stages the eight the four levels of attainment and those that are nearby so the four stages from Sotapanna to Arahan fruits you know fruit and path path and fruit so um, conditions that make for joy bliss that brings praise which is a whole lot higher so it's good to have praise, it's good to have joy, but ultimately it's good to continue on our path and avoid trouble. Uh, as she said, if you wish to stay Cambodia, better to be far from trouble. Um, in the movie City of Ghosts with Matt Dillon. Very fine movie. So then finally we have this verse that also went to Dhammapada 205, um, and 
uh, it, it's a th- this this sutta is very sort of strange, but this looks like it could have been patched on later, um, or a commentary on this Brahmin ascetic who achieved arahant. Drinking the nourishment, the flavor of seclusion and calm, right? So alone physically and samadhi calm abiding in mind. So body alone, mind deeply peaceful. Body alone, mind deeply peaceful. It's not the only way, but <laughs> there is a there is nourishment, not just a flavor, but there's nourishment that can come from right seclusion and uh, true calm. Right seclusion is not running away because uh, I can't handle it. It's really um, finding something valuable, finding deep value in solitude. And that doesn't, you know, everybody can take that to whatever extent seems best. So the the spiritual nourishment of um, right, rightly achieved seclusion or solitude and a calm mind drinking that appreciating that staying long in that one may well be then freed from evil or devoid of dukkha distress meaning beyond i mean you know free from evil it's really free from ignorance uh, devoid of dukkha or out of dukkha and this is the end of the path enmeshed or refreshed with the nourishment of rapture and dhamma Rapture is uh, the higher jhanas. Dhamma means, in this case, uh, the teaching of the reality and the experience of nirvana. Nibbana. <laughs> so we go all the way from friendship, <laughs> where perhaps the, Gautama was commenting on um, those uh, disreputable Brahmin yogis you're hanging out with. And then... Uh, what is the basis of real friendship is that hiri and ottapa, um, shame, dread, the moral sense, not wanting to be blamed, but also not wanting uh, to feel guilty. And, and then this right fear of harm. Uh, and that, again, evolves over time, the moral sense. Uh, so, <laughs> interestingly, we get to, um, the roots of friendship in line with that which truly protects the world. You know, what protects the world is these two, Otapa and Hiri. Uh, <clears throat> and then how that ultimately prevention of harm um, means... Uh, less need for traumatic or painful catalyst on the inbound and therefore one accumulates merit and um, you get what you've been giving which is uh, love and compassion and friendliness and kindliness and sensitivity and right speech and um, cheering on goodness and um, staying away from harm and danger and um, that which leads to pain. So, there you go. Uh, And that goes to the end, to the fruit. Next time, this is a very famous sutta, number uh, 2-4, meaning uh, chapter 2, Kulchulavaga and 4th sutta, Mahamangala. 
Mahamangala, Maha is great. Mangala is uh, blessings. Mahamangala, um, and you see a lot of guys translated it. That's how you know it's a big sutta, is because you have <laughs> multiple people try their hand. So Narada, Piyadasi, Soni, and Tanasaro. So we'll, I'll take the two best translations out of that, and we'll look into it. It's a very famous sutta, and um, interesting too. So, I hope you've been enjoying this, and um, thank you for listening. Uh, please take good care of yourself. See you next week, and good night.